Welcome to the Engage with Energy podcast. Engage with Energy is dedicated to solving problems related to business transformation, enterprise asset management, and corporate social responsibility. We will be bringing you interesting guests and sharing useful information to help you on your journey to achieving world-class business performance. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to the Engage with Energy podcast. I'm Don Racy, founder of Engage Energy and Industrial Consulting. In this episode, I sit down with Dave Mulvihill, Vice President of Health, Safety, Quality, and Environmental for Deepwell Services. Dave and I will speak about quality management systems in the oil and gas horizontal drilling industry. A quality management system is a framework that optimizes internal processes and policies for the continuous improvement of quality. This approach builds on a clear documentation of roles and responsibilities, procedures for each function, and then continuously evaluates those processes for quality. Quality management isn't just about eliminating errors or preventing them from recurring. It's also about corporate culture. Ignoring small issues increases risk, and accepting failure inhibits an organization from pushing quality requirements out to vendors and other suppliers. Deepwell Services is one of the few companies in this industry that has earned the American Petroleum Institute, API, Q2, and the International Standard Organization, ISO, Quality Management System Accreditation. So without further ado, let's dive into the show. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. Before we get into the discussion on quality management, can you tell our listeners uh, about Deepwell, what you do, and who you serve? Yeah, so Deepwell Services is a local Appalachian business. Um, the company was started in 2008 in southern West Virginia. Um, it, in 2012, moved to this area. We have our corporate office located in Zelianople, PA. We're a service contractor that does snubbing and workover, um, which is basically maintenance of the well. We, we work on wells after they're fracked, uh, either to drill out frack plugs to get gas to, gas or oil to surface or to do other remedial work on those wells. We currently have operations in the Appalachian Basin, West Texas, and just recently this year have started operations in Argentina. The first thing I'd like to talk about is when – I think when the vast majority of people think about horizontal, drill, uh, horizontal drilling or fracking, so they don't think of quality or quality management. Um, I think there's this misnomer that uh, sometimes it's the Wild West out there. That's right. Yeah. And um, I'd like – if you could, uh, could you give us some insight on to kind of your journey uh, to – the quality management accreditations that you've got. How did that all come about? And what what was the what made you first think about, hey, maybe we should embrace a quality management system in our operations? So Deepwell was a known as a very effective service company. We were we were good at what we do. Um, we were, you know, really a safe company. We were thinking, you know, we thought we were one of the better companies there as we were smaller. You know, in order to scale the business, it's important to have the proper systems, processes in place to be able to effectively, you know, double, triple, you know, get four or five times bigger in size without diluting that service. So looking back in probably 2014, um, 2015, we we embarked on the journey of putting in a, a certified quality management system to where the organization could continue to grow. 
um, the, the oil and gas service sector, it's all about growth, mm-hmm. right? And getting, getting bigger, you know, more effective in those things. And really that was the initial drive is to be able to scale the business, grow the business, make the business more effective. Mm-hmm. Was that something, uh, unique in the industry at the time? So you see it out of a lot of the big players, um, mm-hmm. the, the, Big service companies, your Schlumberger, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, those types of companies is because they're huge multinational mm-hmm. organizations. Deepwell Services started that process when we were under 100 employees. Mm-hmm. So that's unique. Right? Yeah. Most, most companies that small, they don't have the vision or see the value in creating controls around their business where, you know, you have a certain small group of people that they know in their head what to do, mm-hmm. but it maybe isn't on paper. Or maybe there isn't a certain amount of control around it. Yeah. You, you brought up the people and the organization. So what, what were the biggest challenges that you saw in your organization from a cultural standpoint? So the biggest thing is, you know, not making it this super heavy system that just weighs on everybody. You want to make it a system that allows people to continue to do their jobs in an effective manner, be semi-mobile, and really help them do their job more effectively. A lot of these systems will fail because they're a notebook on a shelf, mm-hmm. right? They're not the way things are done, the way we need to be doing things, Um what we always strove to do at the very beginning of it was to integrate how we do things, tweak them a little bit mm-hmm. here and there, and really standardize that so we could grow. So, you know, Deepwell in, in West Texas is the same as it is here. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we really, really focused on and, and ensured that was being done because you go to a lot of smaller companies and things like that. They're doing things well. Mm-hmm. They may not have it written down. They may not have this or that in control, but they do things well and they're effective. So they um, just need a little bit of help, yeah. you know, where to go and how yeah. to be more effective. Yeah. You know, I, I had the pleasure of coming out to your training facility, uh, meeting a lot of your staff, your safety and your quality folks, and had some great conversations with them. And I was I was impressed with how they've embraced it from a cultural standpoint. And um, if you would, could you talk about how it was embraced out in the field? It's one thing to say, hey, Mike, I have engineers or I have quality staff in the offices and and they bring it up. But um, with your type of operation, you're you're kind of temporary, so to speak. You go in there for a a brief period of time, you you do your job at hand, and then you leave. And so how did you ensure that those quality standards are met with your own personnel? Um, So so that's that's probably the hardest thing to do, right? Like I said, the the manual on the shelf, that's the easy part. That's a couple of guys writing down procedures, programs, you know, determining what you can do. The hard part is the getting that buy-in through the entire company. And, and it starts with training. Um, it, it, you know, it, you have to show an effective system. Mm-hmm. This is why we do this. This is why. They have to know the why, mm-hmm. right? That's real popular. Right. Right? What's, yeah, your why? what's your why? Yeah. And all those things. But why am I doing this? And it's not because I said you're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's because it may affect this, this, or this. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of guys that may be in the field, they don't see – the second, third order consequences of something that they may do. Mm-hmm. So why does this happen? And really, you know, empowering those people, giving them the the two lines, you know, you, you, they have to have some latitude. They're making decisions all day long. It's a, mm-hmm. an environment where, you know, guys are, you know, making decisions. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they have all this data maybe coming at them and they have to make a decision on the right way to yeah. act. So yeah. we don't want to, you know, 
bog them down with that, but they need to know why they're doing things, how to do things, and, and ensure that they meet the right. minimum requirement. Yeah. Now, what was the reaction with your with your customer base? So customers, at first, it was, uh, oh, yeah, great. You know, you have this certification. Yeah. That's great. What's that mean to me? Well, we can show our customers, you know, we, we put these things in place and, and we can ensure that we're meeting our standard and then report to them, hey, we did this effectively. We were a little bit off on this. This mm-hmm. is what we're going to do to be better. We try not to make the same mistake twice. Right. Right. That, that's the key. We'll make mistakes. Things will break. Equipment will break down, things like that. But we'll put a corrective action in place to where it's not going to happen again. So if I'm a, a customer and this happened and it was bad, whatever it may yeah. be, you know, just speaking in generalities, I can – have 90% certainty that Deepwell is not going to do the same thing again. How do you think implementing a QMS has changed your company's perception or reputation in the marketplace? You know, I think it's allowed us to, one of the, one of the major concerns we hear from customers, you know, they've said this to us is how do you plan to grow to add this many people and still maintain that Deepwell standard? Mm-hmm. Like I said, when we first implemented this QMS, we were a small company by just about anybody's measure, less than a hundred people. And really what it's allowed us to do is to pr- maybe prove people wrong, right? We've sure. grown and we've maintained that standard to where, you know, we think we have a good reputation in the market as being the best. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we think we're very good, but we have a continuous improvement mindset where it's not enough to, you know, think we're the best or, or anything like that and, and really drive that performance home. Right. You know, the um, the COVID-19 pandemic, it's, it's changed how everyone's working, right? And, and so how is Deepwell adjusted to this? It's been it's been interesting. I think with with many organizations, you know, you could shut down the office Mm -hmm. and go work from home and or many industries, I guess I should say, and go work from home and maintain that same level. Unfortunately, you can't work on a well site from home. Right. You have to go. You have to go to that location. And really nothing ever shut down. Uh, we never shut down any of our field operations. Now, the total demand destruction for oil and gas and all those things maybe slowed our utilization down. But we've had to, you know, be proactive, as proactive as you can in a situation that nobody mm-hmm. understands, um, to try to get control of an invisible virus that nobody, quite frankly, under, understood back in March right. when everything went on and put proper protocols in place, you know, measures where things you don't even think about. Guys travel to to location in a crew truck mm-hmm. with four people in a pickup truck. Right. Maybe we should add a truck so we can space guys out, you know, and right. do little things like that that yeah. you don't understand. Face covering, sanitization where you left it to the crew to make sure their work areas were clean, but right. maybe we're bringing in a third party and doing things like that. Um, we did shut down our corporate office for a while. Um, to try to manage that. But really, it's just taking that extra step. You know, things that you didn't have to do before, now you have to do mm-hmm. checking temperatures, and right. things like that. And, you know, we've been successful. We've had people infected, um, which is probably to be expected when you when you don't shut down your operations. Mm-hmm. People are still working together. But nobody seriously and took the proper steps when those infections were um, brought to our attention that, you know, we didn't have a whole crew go down or anything like that. Yeah. You know, one of the things we, we know, especially for you and I that live in this region with horizontal drilling being such a, a huge part of the economy, 
um, that it is often uh, looked at as a, um, uh, let, let's say, a, a less than perfect method of, of getting energy to a consumer. Uh, and um, just the you know, the term fracking itself right. is kind of like, uh, is kind of a, a, has a negative undertone to it. So what do you think are some of the, the bigger misconceptions about, about the industry that the average person out there doesn't really quite understand? I think the fact that the industry does not care about the environment, right? The, the, the amount of expense, the amount of control that you know, really, it's our customers, the operators in this area in West Texas. The amount of effort that's put into protecting the environment is substantial. It's it's not something that, you know, people are trying to hide anything. They're mm-hmm. taking proactive steps to ensure that the environment's protected. And you don't hear a lot of that. There's a lot of misconceptions that, you know, there's oil and gas companies are villains, right? Mm. They're destroying the environment. They're, you know, poisoning groundwater and all those things. But if you really look at the mechanics of a well and what is done to protect the environment, those concerns would be alleviated, I feel, um, if people truly understood what those effects were. And and some people are good at selling the social responsibility, Mm -hmm. the corporate responsibility and those things, and others aren't. And I think we're seeing... A lot of the larger operators start to understand that, that it's almost, it's a marketing need mm-hmm. to show that, you know, we, we are responsible because they are. Right. But there's that side that, you know, kind of pushes that these people are bad, they're villains, yeah, you know, right. these things. When it's, it's really being in the industry, it's not true. Yeah. That, that's one of the things that we've come to just through a lot of research through a lot of our own understanding over time is the the difference in of perception versus reality for instance if you look at the average size of a traditional well pad for instance right it's relatively small when you think yes. about it. It, it it's it, it's less it's less than the size of most residential lots right after it's all completed and yeah. done um and the amount of energy that that small well pad can produce, if, if you were to um, uh, compare that to, let's say, a solar array and the ground cover that it would take to produce the same amount of energy, right. so to speak, uh, is enormous. Yeah. It's enormous. And that's no longer ground that can be used. It's no longer ground that could be fertile and or planted uh, with new vegetation, for instance, that ground is no longer useful after that point. So, um, and and I think we've seen in the uh, in the region for sure is the the efforts that are taking to um, how should I say pretty it up once you're done. Right. You know, uh, it's not you're not just left with barren land there. You're resodding, you're reseeding, you're in many cases planting shrubs and trees and what have you. Right. So there's a lot of that going on. Um, but um, one of the things I was so impressed with is when I had an opportunity to visit your facility in Zelenopol and the fact that you actually have a working well on site that you can train your people on. And I think the thing that impressed me more than that was the fact that 
you've opened your doors to other folks, uh, not just your customers, but in many cases, uh, your competitors yep. to some degree. And, and so that to me is a big part of corporate social responsibility. It's using your assets to help everybody else get better. And so I'd, I'd really appreciate it, Dave, if you could tell us more about just what led to that openness, if you will, and sharing what you've known with uh, not only your, 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 your customers, but even your competitors. I think it goes back to that social responsibility thing. You know, if, if we can make the industry as a whole better, It'll be better for Deepwell in the long run. Mm-hmm. You may not think that from a day-to-day perspective when yeah. you're talking about these things and sharing and all of that, but the industry, you know, needs that type of togetherness. It needs to come together, and you know, when we go through these big waves, you know, there, it, it, it's a I don't know if it's a famous saying, but when times are good, service companies gouge prices. But when times are bad, you know, service companies get crushed. Mm -hmm. You know, they're asking for price reductions and things like that here (laughs) and there. But if those waves can become smaller, you know, we can plan on better things and train our people. And just really going back to the training center, we we put a well in um, within the past two years and put it a rig on one of our rigs on and our rigs aren't inexpensive pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. So that's a major um, investment for us to make. But really what it was is, you know, whether you like or hate organized labor, one of the things that organized labor does well is train their people. Mm -hmm. Um, They they have that. And in the oil and gas industry in general, you know, particularly snubbing, it's a very small market. Mm -hmm. There is no organized organization anything like that but we needed a way to train our people to Mm -hmm. make them understand the the way things are supposed to work right so really you know the big buzz in training is virtual reality Mm -hmm. right kids young kids that's how they learn they play video games do things like that now we had a, a snubbing simulator that we could do that it was basically virtual reality but what's better than virtual reality reality right right <laughs> exactly reality right? Get, absolutely get on the well and, yeah. and do some work you and always we learn can, best uh, when you do it right with, with hands-on right. right so so we put this well in place so we can train people and it's not necessarily the guys that are operating the snubbing unit which would be comparable to a driller it would be you know the one benefit that we have is the young guys mm-hmm. they learn how to you know handle pipe to you know run tongs and uh, I may be getting too far into the weeds, but Mm -hmm. you know, the day-to-day things that they're going to be doing before they get out there too often training used to be follow that guy around for a couple of weeks and then you'll start doing his job. Right. Well, we can get hands on before we get out in the field. And it's really been a benefit to us, especially, you know, pre COVID pre uh, this downturn that we're in when we were, we were hiring, we were, you know, we were hiring 35, 40 people a month. Mm -hmm. So getting those guys, indoctrinated in the way we want yeah. to do things was important. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, especially here in western Pennsylvania, um, we're no stranger to um, unions and uh, uh, labor organizations that provide apprentice programs. Right. So when you get somebody out of one of those skilled trades halls, you know, or at least you have a reasonable appreciation that that person's going to be able to do what they say they're going to be able to right. do. And so um, in, in the drill, oil and gas and in, in the drilling industry, you don't have anything like that. However, um, 
the fact that you are standardizing a lot of your training, you're sharing it with others, um, is a, a big plus for this region, in my opinion. And, Absolutely. and, um, I do want to talk a little bit about our region. So prior to COVID, oil and gas was already being hit hard with, um, the, what uh, what you, the economists would say price destruction right. and uh, the price the the um, the price of a of a barrel of oil plummeting when uh, you know the OPEC countries increased output right. to compete against the United States with our vast resources that we have and on top of that we had COVID right. and so the world's transportation systems kind of ground to a halt planes weren't flying therefore they didn't need jet fuel trucks weren't running they didn't need diesel fuel natural gas you know we weren't firing up uh, factories and so um, ideally when we go into 2021 we'll start to begin to see an uptick and all of that you know god willing we'll 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 get we'll get some uh We'll, we'll get some treatment protocols for the virus itself, but then we'll also begin to work on our economy. But um, I wanted to get from your perspective, looking at all of that, where do you see the oil and gas industry, especially in western Pennsylvania, you know, southeastern Ohio, northern uh, the panhandle of West Virginia, where do you see that going in the next couple of years? COVID aside? Yeah, that's a, that's the million dollar question. Right. I think that everybody's trying to yeah. answer, you know, you can read economists, industry insiders and all of these things. And a lot are, a lot will point to a turnaround in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a lot of the big word is consolidation. I think, you know, it's either larger companies buying smaller companies right. and bringing them together, you know, which may not be ideal for the, the job market. Um, for employees because mm-hmm. there's a lot of synergies at those companies and cost savings and reasons why they do it. But demand will come back. Mm-hmm. The world will come back. It's being extended by COVID right now. Right. You know, if, you, if you've traveled lately, you've seen it in the airport, right? Mm-hmm. And all the stores are closed. Everything's closed because yeah. there's no point in being open. Um, but those things will come back. It's being extended now by COVID, but the industry will come back. We can't can't function on these extremely low prices for oil or mm-hmm. gas for for that long. You see it all the time. It's a cyclical industry, right? As they say, and you know we're we're looking into 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, looking for a, a turnaround coming into 2021. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some of the virtual reality uh, in in training of the industry. Where do you see technology going? I mean, from a mechanical perspective, we've seen longer and longer laterals being drilled. Uh, there doesn't it, the speed at which wells are being put up and taken down right. and brought into service has has improved greatly. Um, where do you see the next wave of what I would say of, of improvements coming in the industry? I think it, right now it's all about data, um, the the big data theories mm-hmm. and, and those things. Uh, people much smarter than me are, are working <laughs> on them, but uh, you know it, it's a, one of the core. Um, strategies for Deepwell is to get into that space where we have right now, we call it our data acquisition system on our snubbing units mm-hmm. that they will feed real-time data to anybody that has an internet um, right. connection where you can log in and you have, you know, snub number 18 working on a well pad in West Texas. 
I can log in and see, you know, basically visualize what that rig is doing and then report back on it. So mm -hmm. we have, you know, some of our customers, a lot of the, the major multinational um, customers that we have, they're utilizing that data to make decisions to adjust their drilling parameters mm. and things like that. Um, the the drilling industry has been doing it for some time now, and we're we're bringing that into the completion. And where it's really about making real time decisions to effectively drill out these wells or fish or or whatever you need to do to increase production, mm -hmm. um, increase productions, more efficient operations. You know, it's it is how they're going to be measured in the future and, and utilizing that data yeah. is essential. Now that brings me maybe to my last question. That is um, your, your folks in the field. Um, this is no longer, at least the way I see it is you just need a warm body and somebody who's got a strong back. This, this is a very technical business. You need to be safe, smart, um, an engineering type mind right. uh, to to work with a lot of this equipment. It's very technical in nature, um, and frankly, it's dangerous. Right. And and so you have to have a lot of eyes on it. What um, for for those people out there who may have not considered this as a um, uh, a career path or some you know because one of the things we're seeing is, is a lot of of uh, impetus put on skilled trades, you know, and going back to a, a technical school as opposed to a four-year college. And here in Western Pennsylvania, for instance, we're prior to COVID, there was a there was an extreme shortage of skilled skilled workforce. And um, uh, I, I would love to get your insight on the type of people and the skills that you'll be looking for in the future. Yeah, so that's that's a big question. We put a lot of uh, time and effort into hiring the right people. We want the right people to come in to to do the work. And like you said, it takes a mechanical mind, but it also takes somebody with a strong back. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the jobs that our guys do in the field are not easy. Doing all weather conditions, mm -hmm. you know, we we have guys that work in you know West Texas where it's essentially a desert. Mm -hmm. It gets up into the 105, 110 right. degrees, or you work in for deep well, you work in Pennsylvania in the winter, mm -hmm. which it can be tough. Sure, but the oil and gas industry—you know, you're in Alaska, you're right. in, you know, northern Canada <laughs> and places like right. that, or you know, the Middle East. You're in an yeah. extreme desert, right? Yeah. So it, it it's a guy that or a girl, or a girl that takes you know a mechanical mind has a good work ethic. Um, and we really try to focus on those two things. We, we do some behavioral testing mm -hmm. for candidates and, and things like that. But really, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to find yeah. the right person. But, you know, for somebody that comes into this industry, they can provide a really good living for their family. Right. Um, it's, you know, it, like I said, it's hard work. It's miserable. Um, guys are away from their families mm -hmm. for a long period of time. But the rewards, mm -hmm. you know, are as good or better than yeah. any industry out there. Kind of coming full circle, um, you know, what would you say are maybe the top two or three big ticket items or benefits that a, a quality management system has brought to Deepwell Services? So consistent performance is probably one of them. Um, the one thing that you may not think of with implementing a quality management system, or you may think of it, is safety. 
um, the safety of our employees by standardizing the processes that we do. You you really create an environment where people are, are doing the same. We can pull somebody from one crew, put them on another crew, and things don't change, right? So he's familiar with that operation, so he's going to become safer mm-hmm. with it. So really the standard standardization of the um, processes is super important for safety. And, you know, getting down to things like supplier management, supply chain management, mm-hmm. and things like that, you know you're putting the right equipment in somebody's hands and they know it too. So they can trust their equipment. They know that the equipment is not going to fail. If a failure does happen, we'll fix it. Right. We'll make it better. Yeah. And you know, good equipment, uh, mechanically sound equipment is safe equipment. Right. I've, you know, uh, it, it, over the, the course of my career, we've always heard the statement going, um, you never have time to do it right the first time, but you've got, you've always got time to do it over again. Right. And, and so the term cost of quality is something that I think many organizations, especially those that are growing, um, don't quite understand. Right. And to get your arms around all of the ways that costs are impacted because of poor quality, poor processes, um, what were some of the, um, if there were any aha moments for Deepwell as, as you implemented this? So really the, the way a service contractor works is, you know, we're, we're paid a day rate for our service, but if we're not productive with non-productive time, NPT, we call it, that comes off the daily ticket. Mm-hmm. So if you're down for on non-productive time for 12 hours a day, you're paid half mm. of what you would be paid for right. a day. So really, the main goal of any quality management system in oil and gas is to eliminate incidents and non-productive time. Deepwell has driven its non-productive time. We measure it as a percentage of revenue, mm-hmm. um, and we measure hours as well. But it is, it's dropped over 30% since the instituting this quality management system. Right. And without getting too far into it, that's a significant amount of money when right. you're looking at profit margins and, exactly. and things like that. Not to mention... That's how you get a reputation in the field as being efficient is not having that significant downtime because a customer can basically turn the well on faster and start making revenue from it if we're not sitting on the well down for mechanical failures, incidents, things like that. For sure. So really that's one of the things that I, I can't stress it enough is safety. You know, we perform one of the most dangerous, some may say the most dangerous operations in the oil field mm-hmm. and, you know, have a have a good safety record. Does that mean we're perfect? No. Um, incidents still happen. Um, a lot dealing with human behaviors and things mm-hmm. like that. But we've been able to, over the past four or five years, consistently drive those rates, you know, the severity of incidents down mm-hmm. to where it's uh, at a level where our customers see it, we see it, our employees see it. And have gotten the reputation, you know, whether it's not even with our customers, but potential employees, they know if they're coming to deep well, they're coming somewhere that they're going to be taken care of. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think that, uh, that, that translates to, um, you know, one of the primary reasons for your rapid growth in the industry. Absolutely. So, um, Dave, I want to thank you for your time today. This has been a fascinating discussion. And uh, so uh, for our listeners out there, I would urge you, if you'd like to hear more, go out to uh, Deepwell Services. Google them. Yep, deepwellservices.com. <laughs> there you go. Yep. And uh, and if, if you happen to be uh, a local oil and gas um, 
uh, player in the region. I urge you to take a look at them and uh, check out their incredible training facility. And Dave, thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You betcha. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Engage with Energy. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more like it, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch us on YouTube. So subscribe, hit that like button, or leave us a comment or review. Be sure to follow Engage Energy and Industrial Consulting on social media and tell your friends or colleagues to check us out.